Welcome to Midday. I'm Tom Hall. My guests today in this encore edition of our program are two authors who have a special bond. Anne Patchett is the best-selling author of nine novels, a finalist for the Pulitzer Prize, and a recipient of the National Humanities Medal. Her latest book, which was published in July, is called Tom Lake. Her protagonist is an actress who ultimately lands in a different line of work. It's a tender, warm, and wise meditation on love and family and memory and the stories that shape us. Lindsay Lynch is a first-time novelist whose debut offering is masterfully shaped. It's a gripping narrative set largely in the pre-war years of Hollywood. It follows the long career trajectory of its protagonist and actress, who, like Anne's central character, also finds a second act, which includes encounters with a sweeping panoply of movie stars and wannabes. It's called Do Tell. Anne and Lindsay are colleagues at Parnassus Books, the bookstore Anne owns in Nashville. Anne's book is one of the most highly anticipated books of the year. For some time now, any book by Anne Patchett will be automatically highly anticipated. Lindsay's book is one of any number of debuts, hoping for a little attention, a little buzz, a little shelf space. Two excellent books by two gifted authors who are at two very different places in their writing lives. We had a lot of fun. We began with Anne Patchett, who joined us on Zoom from Nashville. Hey, Anne, always a terrific pleasure to talk to you. Hi, Tom. I'm just sitting here beaming, listening to you talk about Lindsay's book, Do Tell. It just, I'm so, so happy you're doing this. Thank you. Well, I'm happy to do it as well and, and grateful to you for uh, telling me about Lindsay's book, which I really enjoyed. And I really, really loved your new novel, Tom Lake. It's just extraordinary on so many levels. I, I just really had a wonderful experience reading it. Let's start by explaining to folks that Tom Lake isn't a person. Tell us what right. Tom Lake is. <laughs> right. I've been saying for a long time, it's the name of a lake, not the name of a Tom. Um, <laughs> so Tom Lake is a Summerstock, a Summerstock theater in Michigan that I completely made up. And the reason that I called it Tom Lake, I was thinking about Simon's Rock and Jacob's Pillow and how I liked the sound of those two names. And I also wanted a name that was three letters followed by four letters because it would be then like our town. Wow. Three letters. This is the way followed. my brain works. Wow. That's <laughs> yeah, you should you should see somebody about that, Anne. That's good. I know. <laughs> <laughs> So because Our Town, the great play by Thornton Wilder, is in a way kind of a character in this novel. Um, what about Our Town resonates with you so strongly? I, like so many other people, probably read Our Town for the first time when I was 14. And I think I have read it at least once a year, every year since then. And I'm 59. It's it's definitely my touchstone piece of American literature. And it's meant different things to me at different times in my life as I've as I have aged in and then out of certain parts in my mind. Um, but it's at this point in my life, it seems almost like a Buddhist text. It's about keeping your eyes open to the small, beautiful things in the world and realizing that those small moments comprise your whole life, and this is what we've got. 
So the book opens with uh, two kids in high school, uh, one of whom, Lara, becomes the protagonist of the novel, and she's at auditions for a community production of Our Town. She goes on to play the one of the central characters in Our Town, Emily, and she says the nice thing about having an entire script tattooed inside your cell walls is that you can pretty much play your part regardless of circumstances. So Laura, the character, really does come to embody this character and know this play in a really intimate way. Kind of, it sounds like the way you seem to know this play in a really intimate way. Yeah, the difference is I never was in the play, but it's true, especially the things that we read when we're young. They just get absorbed into us. Um, I feel that way about The Great Gatsby, you know, just the things that I read when I was in high school that I keep going back to, I feel like I could almost recite them. And it's not just that you learn the language, but the, the lessons really inform your life. You know, I've thought a lot about this as a musician, what it means to know a piece. There are pieces of music I have conducted literally hundreds of times. I have probably conducted Handel's Messiah more than 200 times, plus oh all the rehearsals and stuff. I mean, it's over a 40-year period, you know. Um, I wonder, and, I, and I've talked to other musician friends about, you know, when, when do we really know a piece? I mean, how many times do you have to do it or what insights do you need to gain? Um, I wonder, do you end up feeling that way about the books you write? I mean, when this book, which happens to be your latest one, but it's your ninth one, your ninth novel, plus you've written all this other stuff, do you, do you, you know, purposely try to make sure you know it you know, in some intimate level, on some intimate level that you're you're willing to say, okay, now I got it all. I, I haven't missed anything. So therefore, I'm sending it to the editor and putting it out in the world. That is so the case. I want to I want to backtrack and say something about music, and then I'm going to come and answer that. Renee Fleming is a friend of mine. Mm -hmm. And she told me once that she had played all of the three female roles in Don Giovanni at different points in her life and that she could sing the whole opera. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. She just knew it. It was and, and that whole thing about something being tattooed inside of you really comes from my friendship with her and what it means to memorize a piece of music. I hadn't thought about that until what you just said. But people ask me all the time if I go back and reread my novels later, which is the most horrifying thought. Yeah. <laughs> and I think that it's horrifying for most writers because you do, you read it so many times in so many different ways. I make myself read the entire book aloud. I read chapters aloud as I work on them. I single out and just will say, all right, today I'm just going to read this one page. Just you you have to get every single bit of it. And there comes a moment when you've gone through the third pass pages and you are not allowed to change one more thing that it's there's no sense ever looking at it again. Yeah, because, I mean, the last thing you need to do is to know it, right? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I remember Walter Mosley told me one time, he said, you know you're done with the book 
when you read it for the umpteenth time, you still find things that are wrong with it, but you've run out of ideas as to how to fix them. <laughs> I, I think that's absolutely perfect. Yeah. So your last novel, Dutch House, which is terrific, set in Elkins Park, Pennsylvania. It was about family. It was about secrets. It was about the stories. Um, and this one is literally about the story of Laura's uh, summer fling uh, with an actor in 1988 at this summer theater um, experience. And she's telling her daughters. So she's an older woman telling her daughters about, and, and they are in their 20s. They're, they're the age Laura was when this was happening. Um, I wonder, is this at all an extension of the things you were thinking about with Dutch House, or are the books and all your books just completely start from scratch unrelated? No, things definitely bleed over one book to the next. There'll be something that I really enjoyed doing in one book that I think I want to do that again. I want to go deeper. I want to learn more about that. There'll be a minor idea in one book that I think I want to make this a major idea. And when I wrote The Dutch House, I hadn't written a novel in first person since 1994. My first two books were in first person. Then I moved on to the third person and I just thought, oh, this is so much deeper. It's so much more interesting for me as a writer. I don't actually feel that way when I'm reading books. And when I wrote Commonwealth, it was a very autobiographical novel, which I always swore I would never do. So when I finished that, and that book went so well, I loved that book. I loved writing that book. And I thought, okay, what else did I swear I would never do? Well, I always swore I would never write another book in first person. So let me do that. I did that with The Dutch House. And it was it was harder and deeper and more interesting than I had remembered it being. And it also seemed to really elicit so much feeling from the reader being in first person. And there are all sorts of weird limitations on having a first person narrator as well. You know, you, other people don't know what the real story is. You can have withholding, which if you have an omniscient third and the narration is in everybody's head, then everybody knows everything. Uh, so I really enjoyed that. And I thought, I want to write another person, another book in first person. And so that was really the connection between those two books. Forgive me if I'm misremembering this, but is it true that you wrote Dutch House first in third person and then switched and wrote the whole thing over again? Somebody told me they did that with one of their novels. And it, was it you? Is, is, do I have that right? Or am I just remembering wrong? Well, it's kind of half right, half wrong. It's that I wrote the whole book in first person, but it was very bad. And I threw it away and started over again, still in first person, still with the narrator of Danny, but I changed the structure of the plot and what the story was about. Well, it came out great. Thanks so much. It, it worked. Because <laughs> it was so bad the first time, it was shocking. <laughs> that one might be hard to believe. The new book is called Tom Lake. My guest is its author, Ann Patchett. It's Midday. I'm Tom Hall. Here's the very beginning of the book. That Veronica and I were given keys and told to come early on a frozen Saturday in April to open the school for the R-Town auditions was proof of our dull reliability. 
the play's director, Mr. Martin, was my grandmother's friend and State Farm agent. That's how I was wrangled in, through my grandmother. And Veronica was wrangled because we did pretty much everything together. Citizens of New Hampshire could not get enough of our town. We felt about the play the way other Americans felt about the Constitution or the Star-Spangled Banner. It spoke to us, made us feel special and seen. Mr. Martin predicted a large turnout for the auditions, which explained why he needed use of the school gym for the day. The community theater production had nothing to do with our high school, but seeing as how Mr. Martin was also the principal's insurance agent and very likely his friend, the request was granted. Ours was that kind of town. Well, now that's quite the narrator for the audiobook. Isn't that lovely? Gosh. Well, first of all, it's beautiful writing. I read that first paragraph, not as well as Meryl Streep, but I read it in my head, and I screamed out to my wife, Oh, this is great! <laughs> I was just, I was like really drawn in. But boy, Dutch House was narrated by Tom Hanks, this one by Meryl Streep. You're on a roll when it comes to audiobooks. This is great. <laughs> yeah, I am. And I actually got to go to New York and sit in on the first two days of the recording, just sit in the room with Meryl reading my book. Uh, that was a life-changing experience. Yeah, that's kind of fun. Now, did you kibitz? Did you direct? Did you okay. say anything? I don't, are you allowed? Was Is there somebody directing her in these sessions? I would assume there is, right? There, there was a director. What was really interesting about the setup was it was the studio where she dubs over film and it's where she has done film work for 30 years and everybody knows her. So it's a giant room with big comfy sofas and a film screen. And she's sitting in the middle of the room and the producers, the soundboard people are in a box, a glass box in the back. Suzanne Mitchell, the audio director, and I are sitting on the couch in the room with Meryl, which is just never the way it works. Did anybody direct Meryl? No. Did anybody need to direct Meryl? No. I mean, every now and then she would turn around and say, oh, it's pronounced this way. And we would be, yeah, yeah, that's great. Keep going. <laughs> yeah, right. Don't mind us. Right? Yeah, really? We're just, we're just sitting here weeping quietly into our hands. It was... It was so great. At one point, she read a scene that made me cry. And I am not a crier. And when I cry, I cry like five tears. But when she took a break, which she almost never did because she didn't make mistakes and she's a workhorse, I said, I was so embarrassing. I, I wrote that and I cried. And she said, oh, don't be embarrassed. Sometimes I turn the television on and I see one of my old movies and I sit down and start to watch it and I cry. <laughs> That's good to know. That's comforting. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, it's beautiful, but it's beautiful because the writing is beautiful, and I'm sure she appreciates that the way the rest of us do. Um, and it's interesting that, it, I, so I, I, speaking of Tom Hanks, who narrated Dutch House, your last book, I just got off the phone with him this morning, actually, and we're going to have a, uh, that interview is going to be shared with our, our folks uh, next Monday. And his uh, novel, which is terrific, and uh, you were kind enough to uh, make a connection with, with me and Mr. Hanks, and I'm grateful for that. Um, his novel is about show business. It's about, it's about the making 
of, uh, it's called The Making of the Next Major Motion Picture Masterpiece. This is about actors, and Lindsay's book, which we're going to talk about a little bit later, Lindsay Lynch, Do Tell, also about actors. So uh, among the three most recent books I've read, they're all about, you know, as Tom calls it, the business of show. Um, what do you think it is about actors and and the movies business or the play business, the theater business, um, that is so automatically intriguing? Well, for me, I mean, the actor in this piece is Peter Duke, who is Laura's boyfriend, if that's the right word, when they are in their 20s and they meet at Tom Lake, and he is overwhelmingly charismatic and crazy. I mean, he's just a guy on fire. And I will say that when I was in my 20s, and especially when I was at graduate school in Iowa, there were those guys. They were poets. They were fiction writers. They had motorcycles. They smoked unfiltered cigarettes. They were always in the Hamburg Inn diner at two o'clock in the morning. I mean, they were just they were just those guys in leather jackets who were who were so self-destructive and brilliant and sexy. And I surely was not going to write a book about a poet or a fiction writer. So I think what's the next best choice, an actor. But yeah. one thing that's really interesting to me about those these three books that you're talking about is how incredibly different they are, how they all come at acting very convincingly from three entirely different places. Yeah. That's a really good point. You're right. Um, th three very interesting perspectives and entirely different places. One of the things that happens in this book, and in Lindsay's for that matter, is that uh, the protagonists leave acting. And with Laura, when she originally, you know, sort of, she was a reluctant actress to start, sort of. Um, she never thought she was all that good at it. And she walked away from it fairly readily. And I wondered if that was plausible. I started thinking, you know, would a, would a young girl with the opportunity to make it in show business, um, and she had her promoters, she had her advocates, she had people who wanted her to, to make a go of it, um, would she walk away that easily? And then as you understand Laura, as, as, as you get to know her during the course of the book, you can say, oh, absolutely, she would do that. That's what she's all about. But did you ever struggle with the possibility that it would somehow seem implausible that this young woman would turn down the opportunity that so many young women, including her own daughter, uh, you know, so ravenously pursue? Well, I think that that's the challenge of the book. And acting, in a way, stands in for her relationship with Duke. Because what the girls... The girls can't believe that she didn't want to be a famous actress. But what they really can't believe is that she didn't want to spend her life with Duke. And so what she's saying is this guy was in no way sustainable. And my career as an actress is was not sustainable either. I knew myself. I knew what I wanted. I knew who I was. I didn't want that life I did, I wanted that life when I was in my 20s, but you grow up and you want other things. But it is really true. There's a difference between what we want for ourselves and what people imagine we must want for ourselves. 
And that's the crux of the story. And the book is basically uh, Laura telling this this story of that incredible summer and what happened afterwards to her three daughters. Um, and she says at one point, the stories that are familiar will always be our favorites. And boy, ain't that the truth, that you, yeah. you, you go back to those ones that, you know, uh, people know, but the daughters in this case hadn't heard a lot of detail, certainly, about her relationship with Peter Duke and, and that summer in 1988. Um, so that was an interesting, an interesting balance that you had to strike there. Was that a challenge? Well, no, that actually was a lot of fun because they know a little bit about their mother's life and then they just made the rest of it up. Not in one shot, not in any willful way, but we all do that with our parents. We know the basic outline of what came before us and we're moderately interested, but then we just fill in the rest over time and it becomes true over time in our own minds. So Laura is always saying, okay, this is the point at which I go to Los Angeles. And the daughters say, no, that's not when you went to Los Angeles. That's when you went to Michigan. I mean, they are completely positive that they are right at every turn about her life. And that's that's a dynamic that I think is just true. Yeah. And it's fascinating. I mean, uh, she also says at one point, there's no explaining this simple truth about life. You will forget much of it. And Won't boy, you? Yeah. Won't you, Tom? Yeah. <laughs> There's stuff I have, you know, assiduously tried to forget. There's that right. part, you know. <laughs> but but really, I mean, my wife and I, who've been married 37 years, were, you know, we 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 remember the basic outlines of the experiences we've had together, but we remember them in completely different ways, uh, or sometimes even not at all. She'll remember something that I have no recollection of. Um, but it's it's that what we choose to remember and 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 stories come from uh so many uh complexities you know there there's so many complexities involved in what we tell and how we tell it and why we tell it uh and this book is masterful at figuring that out because there's a lot of stuff Laura doesn't tell them i mean it right. she makes right. decisions yeah right and and again we all do that the way you tell something to your wife is not going to be, you're going to take the same story and tell it to a colleague or tell it to an old friend or say it on the radio. They're going to be incredibly different versions of the same story. Very possibly none of them are lies, but you are going to share, you are going to withhold without even thinking about it really based on who the audience is. I'm always saying to my husband, know your audience. Yeah. Yeah, because the audience matters when you're going to pick and choose what you're going to say. Absolutely. Right. Yeah. Uh, well, that's good. That's refreshing to hear from one of the great storytellers of all time, Ann Patchett. Her new novel is called Tom Lake, and we'll have more with Ann Patchett, and we'll meet Lindsay Lynch and talk about her debut novel on the other side of a quick break. It's midday. I'm Tom Hall. Stay with us.
Welcome back to Midday. I'm Tom Hall. If you've just joined us today, we're listening to a conversation I had with the acclaimed best-selling author Anne Patchett. Her ninth novel was published in July. It's called Tom Lake. It's a gem and a pleasure and a joy for all the reasons that so many of us have come to be admirers of Ann Patchett's insightful writing. And by the way, it's not about a guy named Tom Lake. It is about parents and kids and lovers and friends and the messy, beautiful, and life-changing connections we make. Ann joined us on Zoom from Nashville. And speaking of friends and connections, we were also joined by the author Lindsay Lynch, She's one of Ann Patchett's friends who is connected to Ann through Parnassus Books, the independent bookstore Ann owns in Nashville. When we spoke in late July, Lindsay Lynch had just published her first book, a novel set largely during the golden age of Hollywood in the 1930s and 40s. Like Ann's novel, this one features a female protagonist who starts out as an actor and, for a variety of reasons, transitions to a different career. Her name is Edie O'Dare. She's a keeper and a teller of secrets. Lindsay Lynch spins a terrific tale peopled with a huge and wonderful cast of characters in a milieu that remains to this day a source of fascination. It's called Do Tell. Lindsay Lynch joined Anne and me on Zoom from Nashville. Hi, Lindsay. It's great to meet you. Hello. Thank you for having me. Sure. And uh, congratulations on the book. It's really a wonderful, wonderful read. Um, where does it come, uh, the, the sort of the core of your desire to, to do all of the sacrifice and the work it takes to be an author? Why, why is it important to you to write a book? You know, it took a couple tries to figure out where I fit as a storyteller because I knew I always wanted to write and I definitely spent a large portion of my early 20s very, very convinced that I was meant to be a writer of short stories, like very highbrow literary. But when I went to grad school, I found that I, I didn't actually want to write those short stories anymore. And I thought, wouldn't it be funny if I secretly wrote a novel during my grad program? And I did. <laughs> secretly? You had to keep it a secret? <laughs> a grad program in writing it. and they didn't want you writing a novel? What's that well, workshops, they really want you doing short stories because uh. it's easier to workshop a short story. And I wanted to make sure like, I was 100% convinced that I could and wanted to write a novel before I told anybody. And did you just spring it on them when it was all done or did you show it to them you know, at various stages? It was funny. So my cohort was only four people. Um, and one of those four people was the writer Jenny Tingwei Zhang, who wrote Four Treasures of the Sky, which came out last year. And it's absolutely fabulous. She was also meant to be writing personal essays while she was there. And I remember we had a moment like crossing each other in the hallway between our offices. And we we're like, I think I might be writing historical fiction. I think I might also be writing historical <laughs> fiction. So apparently I was not the only person in that program who uh, was surprised to find themselves not just writing a novel, but writing historical fiction. So you were writing this while you were in your grad program, and I, obviously you continued working on it while you had your sort of day job, which is at Parnassus Books. What is your role at Parnassus? So I'm the buyer for adult fiction and nonfiction in the store, so everything but the kids section and sidelines. Um, and it's funny, I'm actually joining you from our shipping center, which is currently filled with Tons and tons of copies of Tom Lake that we're getting ready to send out to folks. Great. And I wonder, when you are making decisions as a buyer, do you gauge 
what will sell. I mean, obviously, Tom Lake is going to be a, you know, an Ann Patchett novel is going to sell well in Ann Patchett's bookstore uh, and many other bookstores for that matter. Um, do, do you gauge what will sell or what should sell? How do you balance that tension? It's definitely a job that it helps if you've been a bookseller for a very, very long time, which fortunately I have, and not just a bookseller, but I've been a bookseller at Parnassus for a long time. So I know our customers, I know what they're interested in. I know that we definitely tend to veer heavy towards literary fiction and memoir. So that definitely helps in terms of knowing what to buy, but it also helps that we have really incredible um, sales reps who also know our customers and the readers who come by. So I think doing a lot of odd jobs at the store, I mean, I've been a bookseller, I've been a subscription manager, I've been a social media manager. All of those things have definitely impacted how well I just at this point kind of intuitively know what our customers are going to want. Yeah, and I bet it informs how you write. In in what ways do you think uh, that's the case? Oh, absolutely. I think booksellers have such a wonderfully long memory, and we're also very loyal and a little bit obsessive. So it absolutely helps to have those conversations, both you know when you're in the back room and you're packing up books, or you're just killing time behind the register. You know, we just talk about our favorite books and our favorite characters. And it's we're not just talking about the most recent ones. Like, we'll talk about backlists from like five, six, ten years ago. So having those conversations about what's really stuck with us over time definitely shapes how I approach storytelling and writing. And Ann Patchett, it's interesting to me that uh, this notion of the stories themselves being interesting is sort of an a priori assumption a lot of times. But you, writer, your protagonist uh, says in, in your book, Tom Lake, that, for example, good marriages are never as interesting as bad affairs. Um, and you've written about your very good marriage. Um, and this marriage that takes place in this novel is a very good marriage. Um there is kind of a premium on stuff happening and being interesting um, for a lot of readers. For me personally, I find it's how the story is told. I sort of don't really care what happens, but if it's told in a compelling way, that's that's as interesting as I need. I mean, I wondered if, if you, you know, feel a, a, an obligation to have, you know, high drama in in the books that you're writing? I would say obviously no. (laughs) (laughs) I would say that's just one of those self-evident truths. I have no talent for villains. Uh, I just don't. And so a lot of times what I'm working with is how to get narrative tension out of decent people. And it's absolutely uh, possible. I interviewed Rick Russo a couple of nights ago for his new novel, Somebody's Fool. And he is also just a a very warm, affable person who writes about a lot of kind people. But then there's almost always some enormous act of violence in his books. And I was saying to him, how do you get there? You know, I'm, I'm impressed that he can do the kindness and the violence. And, and the same is true for Lindsay. She's got this very wide range of human emotion, human reaction. 
some very hard things happen in her book, but there's there's also just an awful lot of fun. And I admire that range, which I feel like I just don't have. I'm Tom Hall. If you've just joined us, we're listening to a conversation I had in July with two authors, Ann Patchett, whose latest book is called Tom Lake, and Lindsay Lynch. Her latest book is her debut novel. It's called Do Tell. Our conversation was pre-recorded, so we can't take any new calls or comments today. And Lindsay, your protagonist uh, starts as an actress and then uh, sort of morphs into a gossip columnist. So uh, stories, uh, and particularly salacious stories, are her coin of the realm. Um, that's a really great premise, it seems to me, for a storyteller. How did you, how did you alight upon that idea? Yeah, the first time I tried to write this novel, I wanted it, I really, really wanted it to be in third person. I wanted it to be a third person shifting perspective. And the novel always kicked off with this big party. An incident happens at the party. And the first time I tried it, Edie, the narr- who's now the narrator, she wasn't even one of the perspectives. She was just this annoying person at the party that everybody kept warning each other about. You know, there are all these actors and actresses being like, watch what you say, Edie O'Dare might be listening. And that approach didn't work at all because there just there wasn't any compelling tension. Like everybody saw the same things. They all agreed on what they saw. There wasn't anything to build a novel out of. And I realized if I wanted to tell the story I wanted to tell, I'd have to put it into first person. And I didn't even hesitate with who it had to be. It was immediately clear, like it had to be Edie because she has a very clear and distinctive voice. She thinks she knows everybody's business, but she also has a large margin for error. She can misperceive, she can misjudge, she can make assumptions. And that's when the novel really came alive for me is when I realized Edie has to be the narrator. She has to be in first person. She has to make these assumptions and be wrong. And there's a huge cast of characters in this book, Lindsay. You've got, you 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 invent a whole lot of people. I mean, a whole town's worth. Um, and I wonder if that was something you set out to do initially that, you know, you wanted it to be this sweeping panoply of people rather than, you know, four or five or six that you could sort of concentrate on. I mean, obviously there are people we know better than some others, but, um, you know, the party scene, for example, we get to know an awful lot of the folks uh, who were at that party. Um, Was that a difficult challenge to undertake? Oh, absolutely. I kept trying to trim down characters. I mean, there's one character, Augustine, who's kind of this publicity chief. I think in reality, he should probably be like three or four different people with the amount of jobs he has. So I kept trying to find ways to minimize and condense people. But the problem is when you're working in the studio system, you got a lot of people. Um, And it was really important to me, especially to have a wide range of female characters in this world and have a wide range of their experiences from, you know, Edie to the starlet, she helps out Sophie, to the kind of hard-boiled seasoned actress, Nell Parker. I wanted to have a large range of women to write about. So yeah, ended up getting them all in there. Yeah, you did. And, and their movie stars are adjacent to movie stars, so we're just sort of automatically interested in them. And Anne, in your book, um, the protagonist says, we remember the people we hurt so much more clearly than the people who hurt us. And that seemed to me to be awfully insightful. I thought a lot about that in terms of who gets seared into our brains. 
uh, when we have these interactions over the course of our lifetime. Um, is that something you've, you've thought a lot about? Absolutely. Um, it's just true. It's just true. You know, the, the people, the people who've done me wrong, I don't remember them at all. Uh, and I don't remember what the event was, but the people that I've done wrong really stick with me. And, and I have to say that line is also very applicable to Lindsay's novel because the, it's the people that Edie hurts that really shape her life. And she's always trying to find a way to make amends or, or to find peace with that in the book. Ann Patchett's new book is called Tom Lake. Lindsay Lynch, her new book is called Do Tell. We'll have more with Ann Patchett and Lindsay Lynch after a quick break. I'm Tom Hall. You're listening to Midday. Stay with us. Welcome back to this encore edition of Midday. I'm Tom Hall. If you've just joined us, we're listening to a conversation I had in July with two authors, Ann Patchett and Lindsay Lynch. We talked about Ann's latest novel, her ninth, called Tom Lake, and Lindsay's debut novel, Do Tell. Our program was recorded earlier, so we aren't able to take any new calls or online comments today. So, Lindsay, you work with Ann Patchett at Parnassus. Um, what do you learn by reading Ann Patchett? What don't I learn by reading Ann Patchett? <laughs> um, no, Commonwealth and Dutch House, I think if I could ever teach a class on those two novels together and just the way that one of them kind of zeroes in on family ties and this big story, the other kind of expands back out. Just how she writes, how she handles time, how she handles relationships. I mean, she's an incredibly, she's the most empathetic writer. I love saying this with Anne on the other line. <laughs> I think I've ever encountered. So she just treats her characters with such love and care, no matter how poorly they behave. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And Anne, it's interesting, you know, you talk about those things that are true and writing about things that are true. Um, your good friend Tom Hanks, his novel also about the movie business, um, he talks about how movies are good at capturing the unspoken truths, the kind that the audience slaps itself upside the head for not having seen it long ago. And he and I talked about how it can go the other way, that you can also have truths that everybody knows, but they're articulated and and framed in such a, a beautiful way that it's revelatory on some, some level. But I, I wonder if you've ever either even talk to him about or or thought yourself about, you know, revealing unspoken truths, those truths that are on the margins that don't uh, smash us in the face, uh, as well as, you know, just having new framing for those truths that we all know are true, but are good to be reminded of. I think that goes back to our town. And Emily up at the cemetery at the end, getting to go back into her life and 
the woman in the cemetery says, you know, pick the least important day of your life. It will be important enough. And she goes back for her 12th birthday. How do we, in our life and in our literature, remember to see what's in front of us every day? Uh, there's a moment in Tom Lake when Laura says, you know, and one day you look up and you see your husband driving by on a gator and think that's all I've ever wanted. It's It really does turn out that the small things, as I get older, uh, are the things that are the most moving and most beautiful. It's not being an actress. It's not dating a movie star. It's it's living It's living your life and being aware of it. Yeah, and if we're smart enough to be cognizant and, and, you know, really open to how wonderful those small moments can be. Uh, it's it's terrific. We have Ed on the line in Baltimore. Welcome to Midday with Ann Patchett and Lindsay Lynch. Uh, <clears throat> thank you. Uh, I am a widower of a certain age um, and live in a retirement community whose library happened to have a large print copy of the Dutch House. Uh, I'm not a great reader, but it was a most enjoyable, uh, entertaining, informative book I think I've had read in a long time. There were just enough people in it to keep me interested, and not so many people or complex uh, issues that I couldn't keep track of it. So thank you, Anne. It was a it was a beauty. Thank you, Ed. That's the nicest, nicest thing. I really appreciate that. And I love I love it when people just find a book by serendipity. They're not going out and looking for it. That's the book you found, and, and it was the right book for you. So thank you. Yeah, and I love that balance of, you know, not too hot, not too cold, just right. You know, that's, yeah. that's terrific. Um, and, Lindsay, uh, your complications uh, with all of the people who interact uh, with each other and with this main character, Edie. Um, it's about friendships and maintaining some of those friendships, even in the context of the gossip press. So this is a story about values and what's really important, how important these friendships are, because some of those friendships can be severed uh, if the wrong thing gets into the wrong hands. Yeah. Um, and as I researched how the gossip columnists had to operate during this time period, I was kind of struck by how many misconceptions I had, because I think when I thought about it, I was thinking more of like the 1950s tabloid culture or gossip when I was growing up. It was a while before I realized just how constrained a gossip columnist was during this time because of how much power the studios had. And the question for me really became, you know, if you have a star who's misbehaving, where is that line going to be where they're not so profitable that a studio will continue to protect them? And what role Edie plays in drawing those lines? And she ends up occupying a really, really kind of lonely, isolated space in that. Yeah, it's a, it's a, she's got a, a lot of rough decisions to make uh, in that, you know, very difficult world. Um, and I wonder, this is your ninth novel. Um, you've written essays, children's books. Um, at this point, in addition to what you're noticing, the things that you're noticing now that you're older than you were, is there also a muscle memory to the to the actual act of writing? Does does writing 
become, you know, the, the, the same kind of experience or is the experience, the endeavor itself changing um, as, you, as you go on? You know, it's never the same. And I am somebody who takes big breaks in between projects. It's not, I'm not Trollope. I don't finish at two o'clock and start my next book at 2.30. <laughs> but the thing that's so great about having written so many books and having lived to this age is that I know myself. So I know that the first 30 pages are always going to be incredibly hard for me, and I may have to write them 30, 30 times. And I know that it's right around page 80 that I start to feel like, okay, this is going to work. Um, it's I'm wise to myself, and, and that makes it so much easier when you think, I've got to quit. This is horrible. I hate this book. I hate these people. I have got to throw this out. And now I think, yes, because this is how you always feel <laughs> at this point. I was talking to my friend Kevin Wilson recently, the novelist, and and I said, how's it going? And he said, well, you know, I'm on page 100 and, and the book is just unbelievably terrible. But I was talking to my wife about it last night and she said, yeah, because at page 100, they're always unbelievably terrible and you always want to bail out. So that's the great thing about having a career. You just think, oh, yeah, I, like the train's right on time. I know where I am. And Lindsay, how about you? Did you have, uh, you know, those moments being racked with self-doubt and, oh, my gosh, this is a mess. I'll never fix it. Or how, what was the experience like for you with this first novel? Oh, absolutely. I completed a first draft of it in 2019 and queried literary agents, and I received a lot of really, really nice rejections, which is a weird space to occupy because something's working, but it's not working quite well enough. And I had to have a really hard discussion with myself about you know, whether or not I wanted to just completely rewrite this book. Is it time to just call it a drawer novel? And I ended up rewriting it at over the course of 2020, which was um, not something I would recommend rewriting an entire first novel during a pandemic, but it really became, you know, Anne talks about like kind of the simpler moments. For me, I think it became kind of a, I want to escape into this world. Um, the quiet, simple moments aren't cutting it for me. I need to go somewhere else and really inhabit this world. And, and Anne, um, you know, knowing uh, how good Lindsay's book is, um, What's your advice to to Lindsay and to to people at that stage of their careers uh, on book one and and hoping for the best? Um, any particular words of wisdom? Yes, all my life I wanted to write a novel, and then I did. And I thought, so what's my goal now to write two novels? That seemed a little lame. And it wasn't until after my first novel was published that I thought what I want is to have a career and I want to learn things book to book. And nobody will read all of them except my sister, uh, but people will read you know, the third one and the sixth one and the first one and the ninth one or whatever combination. And, and that's a beautiful thing. And that is exactly what I would wish for Lindsay is a career. And she's, you know, Lindsay is smart and she's, talented and do tell is a terrific novel but the thing that Lindsay has is the, is the thing that you actually need which is she can work 
and work and work. Yeah. And no matter how many times it doesn't work out, she can pick herself up and start again. Yeah. And she'll be great. Because it is about work. All right. Well, thank you both for your wonderful work and your time today. Ann Patchett's new novel is called Tom Lake. Lindsay Lynch's new novel is called Do Tell. I'm grateful to you both. Thanks so much and good luck with both of these great books. Thank you so much, Tom. It was a pleasure. Thank you. It was wonderful. That's it for us today. Thanks so much for joining us. I'm Tom Hall. Have a great day.